You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the Afterlife. I'm excited today. We have a relationship. I don't know what the t- title would be. Coach, expert, advice person. I try to say influencer because uh. I just hate the term. I hate experts. By the way, Natasha Chendel. Yes. Okay, that's me. I just get, get your name out there first. Um, you hate the term expert because it makes you feel like, well, then. No, I just hate experts in general because I don't think anybody's really a fucking expert unless oh, it's like rocket science. That to me, I'm like, you're an expert. <laughs> Everybody else, I'm like, fuck you. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even want to get started about the pandemic and the experts in the pandemic because, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so bizarre. I was a bigger expert in the pandemic. Because I was telling people in the beginning of February last year, um, the second that gets on a plane, we're all fucked. And I was like, you should wear a mask outside also. <laughs> and people thought I was crazy. I was like, I'm telling you. And then they were all just like, you you told us to do that before. I'm like, I told you they're all lying. It's yeah, airborne. I know. When it started, everyone was saying, masks don't make a difference. That's how viruses work. And now it's the only thing that people are talking about. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually got... I'm pretty positive i got got it on a plane i got covered on a plane oh yeah and uh because i was you know i was being a pretty good boy i wasn't great but i was pretty good yeah i wasn't i wasn't a dick walking trader joe's like what what are you gonna do but um i definitely thought okay there's a little bit of hysteria going on i was like in the middle of 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 the 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 trump supporter and the liberal i was kind of like okay be be cautious and that but let's not don't be in your Prius with the windows rolled up with your mask up, freaking out that totally. an F-150 is next to you. I, think I agree. Traffic light. Um, and also, I, I did like when the beaches were closed. I thought that was kind of antithetical to what the science was. But who knows? What the fuck do I know? I'm just a fucking comic. I think the beach thing was really just because kids are dicks. And, and they just mo- don't. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. I didn't follow fucking rules when I was a teenager. So why would any other teenager follow a rule? And so- also, if you're a teenager, you pretty much know the stats work out so you're not going to if you get sick, you'll just, you won't even know most of the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got, in some, <laughs> I got some fights with people because I would just say things like, are we, people would post, are we still on lockdown? I'm like, go somewhere. If it's closed, then that place is on lockdown. Yeah. Otherwise, if it's open, go in yeah. with a mask. What are you talking about? I'm kind of just like a balanced person about everything. Yeah. Like I'm very, I'm, you know, openly very liberal. Oh, by the way, yeah, we have this sometimes. We have the motorcycles every once in a while. Just so I hate motorcyclists <laughs> too. Can you tell I just hate a lot of things? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm actually a very loving person, but uh, I really don't like loud sounds. Yeah. Um, but I'm very balanced and I'm super liberal, but I still feel like everything in moderation is probably best. And... Uh, so yeah, I took the lockdown seriously, but I didn't literally lock myself in. I went out yeah. quite a bit, like especially outdoors, and I I went home to Canada twice. Yeah, um, I got COVID in February last month, and I did nothing. I was like, "What the fuck?" You weren't traveling. I literally did nothing. You were in your uh, yeah, no idea how that's I got exactly. It. The I was thing. like, "What the fuck?" I, the the times that I should have gotten it, I didn't. Yes. Time I was sitting around doing nothing. Yes. I was like, how did this happen? Well, there's so much science to the fact that, you know, Bill Morrow talks about like a mosquito can only live in a swamp. And if you're not exercising and you're depressed and you're inside, then you are 
rife to be infected by anything, by any virus, yeah. you know. Um, I was doing jujitsu the whole time during it and, you know, but I, yeah, I did get COVID and part of me was relieved when I got COVID. Although when I got COVID, my first thought was, am I going to die? Which is, that's a media concoction right there because I shouldn't be thinking I'm going to die. But it is scary when you're going through it because like yeah. my two weeks I kept thinking, Am I going to turn now? How sick How sick did you get? I was mild, but I had every symptom, but like yeah. the mild version. So I had, I lost my smell taste. Like every, I was sick. I had fever, but like low grade fever, yeah. um, headaches, like the whole thing just, like, yeah, definitely. The For that whole version. period of two weeks. For two weeks. Oh, and then wow. I got, I got migraines on the very last day of the two weeks. And then that lasted eight days. I had an eight oh, day shit. migraine. And you'd never had like, migraines before? No, I have, but not eight days. They yeah. would just be like a day Good and nothing God, was helping. I could imagine that. It was the worst. Oh my God. Um, but like, you know, luckily got through it and. And do you feel bulletproof now? Do you feel, or do you feel like the other variant could get me in yeah, my sleep. I'm, I'm still again. I'm cautious. Yeah. I do my part, which is I. I know. Okay, they say I have antibodies, but I'm not. I'm still gonna get that vaccine. Uh, yeah. But mostly because I'm just like, people need to fucking chill. You know, yeah. everybody's like, oh, I don't know what this vaccine's gonna do to me. I'm like, <laughs> you like. Almost all of us have been single at some point, and we have been licking guys ball sacks and and fucking clits for decades so we yeah, don't give a shit what clits. happens to us yeah. and what comes into us mm-hmm. so like let's not worry right now yeah we've all sucked toes you know yeah point. you have no idea you've had lots of bacteria and fucking shit in you <laughs> literally probably somebody's shit too at some point oh if you've for fucking sure fingered somebody's butthole like yeah. it's around so stop worrying about your life it's not that <laughs> And also, Precious. if you the more you're exposed to stuff like that, the better your immune system can be built up. I mean, there's an argument for that, too. Exactly. So just take the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of uh, quarantine and COVID and all that, I, it's interesting, as a, as a dating influencer, um, what was what was the pandemic like? I mean, what was... Did you Were you in a position where people were coming to you a lot more because they're like, look, what the fuck do I do? I'm a woman. I'm single. I'm horny. I'm alone. Help me. What did it look like for people in that field? Yeah, we. Uh, I had a lot of friends who were asking what I thought in terms of did they think I, I thought it was safe for them to date. No. And, uh, you know, they would ask if I would have done it. Um, I kind of lucked out. I met my boyfriend two weeks before the pandemic started. <laughs> and you survived the pandemic. Good yep, for you. Yeah, we just had our, you know, one-year anniversary. Um, but our my friends were asking if I would have done it. I was straight up. I probably wouldn't have dated. Yeah. But um, I encouraged other people to because, yeah. again, I just think you can do everything if you're a little careful about it and mindful of who you're dating. And then hopefully it makes you more thoughtful about who you're going on a date with. Like, don't go on a date with the fuck boy who looks like he's going on a date with 40 girls because he probably is and if he doesn't give a shit he's gonna bring that back to you and if that matters to you then don't go on a date with him i have a feeling that the type of guys that were going on these sites just flippantly and just trying to bang everyone they can we're the same guys who didn't give a shit about COVID too i I, the the venn diagram is probably one circle yes you know what i mean yeah um did uh (laughs) so because I thought, like, I've heard that a lot of people start relationships during quarantine. 
on apps like Hinge and stuff like that. And I was, I was like, wow, how would you? And I think maybe there was something good about it because you could get to know someone virtually mm-hmm. for a while before you met them. And it used to be when you met someone virtually, because I'm a bit older than you, mm-hmm. but when you met someone virtually, there was just sort of, um, there's a lot of texting. Sometimes you talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. You'd see pictures, but you never really got, even if you did like a video thing back in like the early 2000s, it was always grainy and you know what I mean? So sometimes they showed up, you're like, this is not what I ordered. Um, and I think now with Zoom and FaceTime and everything, you can get a pretty good sense of how someone looks and moves and sounds and everything like Unless that. Unless somebody's using, using beauty mode. <laughs> and then it's with a, all With the bluebirds circling their head and like a no, big filter. No, but in Zoom, do you know that? There's a beauty mode. No. So like it's kind of like a very light filter. So you don't see all, a lot of the, Can you like, tell wrinkles. the filter's on? Yeah. Oh, well, if you I can mean, tell the I filter's on. I super pretty in, on a Zoom <laughs> because it's just like, oh, I have no <laughs> fucking lines on my face at all. Um, but yeah, the you're right. The, the people are getting to take a little bit more time. I really found it to be an extreme in, in the pandemic. Like I have friends who who are really taking the time to get to know people and and... Uh, nurturing that aspect of slow dating we would call it um and then i have friends who are who are talking to people but just like know that they don't feel comfortable meeting so it's just kind of like so they're talking talking and they're gonna wait until all right this isn't you know three weeks a month three months just to like pass the time and then they just move on and they just move on yeah they have some emotional intimacy that they were craving I could imagine that being very frustrating. Do you virtual think that sex? I mean, there's a lot of that. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot of like virtual stuff happening right now. The virtual, the virtual sex thing is odd because, um, and again, I'm a little bit past that time, but, <laughs> but I guess what it would be is usually women masturbating, right, with toys yeah. or fingers, or whatever. But there's nothing attractive about a guy masturbating. Whenever girls are like, hey. It's this. It, I look at the video. I'm like, that's the most unattractive thing I've ever seen. I would never. No, I'm not. I don't subject know what girl is saying. Hey, I want to see that because <laughs> I'm sure some are. But yeah, I've always sort of just been like, don't you know, dicks aren't cute. Like, don't send no. me a dick pic or something. I actually have. You've never. Like, you've never, received. No, can I tell you? No, you've never received one. No, just no from joke. Some I've literally been like, "What is wrong with me? How come I have never <laughs> received a fucking dick pic?" And I get hit on by guys all the time on social media, and nobody's ever sent it. I'm not saying I want it, but it would kind of make me feel like, "Oh, what's you know?" Maybe well, I'm now, like did normal. you meet your your boyfriend on an app? Yeah, we met on Hinge, which okay. um, is also rare because I didn't really do dating apps. I tended to meet people in real life. We call it IRL in real life. In real life. And, uh, uh, but yeah, this one worked out where I was on Hinge and. and yeah, I don't, I, 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 when I haven't been on that. There's a long story. I'm not on apps for a number of reasons. I, I got banned from every app because oh. I was promoting comedy shows. That's awesome. Because I found, I thought so. <laughs> I found out early on that when I was going out headlining and I'm not like a big name and I need to get people to go, I'm like, well, I'm cute. I can get some people on my on my t- so I'd get people I'd sometimes some shows I'd get like eight to ten women coming to a show. Wow! But I would usually try to tell them, "Hey, it's a comedy show, and maybe we can hang out if we meet up. We can have a drink afterwards. Who knows? See how it goes." But um, wait, would you get eight to ten 
different women at one yeah, show? At one show. What would you do? Sometimes women would say, hey, can I bring it? This is an awkward question. Can I bring a date? I'm like, of course. It's a free comedy show. The tickets are usually like maybe 40 bucks a ticket. I'll get you and your date, free free admission, and I'll get you a drink. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they bring friends. So sometimes it was, but every once in a while, a woman would show up alone. And I would always say, just bring people, bring a friend or whatever. Um, or I even say, hey, bring a date if you want. And they would show up alone. And then after the show, and I hate to say this, but the type of woman that would show up alone to meet me at a show is rarely the woman that I want to hang up, hang mm-hmm. out with afterwards. That sounds awful. It does. Uh, it does a little bit. A little bit. But, but I just mean like... It means some, she's actually showing interest in you and you're like, yeah, that's not the one I'm... <laughs> but it was... Sometimes it would get like a little... Like just... it. You know, the air, no one likes desperation. And... You invited I w- her. I was desperate for, for seats <laughs> for people to fill you the seats. You invited her. That's I know, but I would try. I would try to say... Hey, I'm just in town for a week. I'm promoting these shows. I'd love for you to come. You seem cool. Like if we if if you come and we and you like first of all, you get to see me on stage for an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Saying a lot of shit. So you can and see me move around, talking, everything. So you can look at me after an hour and go, Ugh. Or like I don't like the way he looks. Mm-hmm. I don't like what he's saying. It's great I thought it was great for women to just silently judge me. And decide if they like me or not. Yeah, totally. Um, and there definitely would be women who would come, and I could tell they were like, "This guy is just a little bit too, too much, raunchy or yeah, raw yeah. or whatever." I'm looking for a classy dude or whatever it is. And um, and then there were some women that were like, "Oh, this guy's cool," but there wasn't a thing there. But it was just every once in a while, like one out of ten women, that they would just sort of, they would take it really personally and feel really hurt. And this one woman threatened to sue me for fraud. She goes, I'm going to sue you for fraud. Why? I don't get it. Fraud because it, uh, the fraud was I was presenting myself as someone to date. Oh. So then Bumble and Tinder, they are like, you're using these against practices because you're using it for promotion. And I think I got a warning from Tinder, but like Bumble just a lifetime wow. banned me right away. Oh, damn. And then... And then I like I, we get a new Bumble and then I didn't even know again. you could get banned on the apps. So that's awesome. I mean if I try to get on Tinder Bumble now with my because I think now you have to give your phone number usually yeah the same phone number so yeah 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 I guess I could borrow someone's phone number but yeah, even no. then it's just like yeah, I think now I'm in a database it. yeah I'm on some sort of blacklist um, so I haven't even tried in years yeah. uh, but uh, yeah she tries to me for fraud and and. Uh, <sighs> And it was because the truth is like this, I just wasn't attracted to her. She wasn't, mm-hmm. and she seemed like a, a weird person. And I didn't want to like attack her for that. Um, and part of me was like, wow, I hope she sues me for fraud. That could be some good press. <laughs> but sure enough. Such a comedian. She, she wrote this to me and then I was banned. So I think that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, now f- for you, uh, as a, f- first of all, I want to go back and kind of get your story. Cause how people, I, like I told you before the podcast, I dated a wing woman, a professional wing woman. And she actually got like a lot of press for becoming the first professional wing woman, probably like 2000, I don't know, maybe 12 or something like that yeah. uh, in New York city. And she's just a very gregarious, smart, witty, charming woman. She had a lot of, uh, wealthy clientele and she just go to parties and she could just talk to anybody about anything. Mm-hmm. She was a Georgetown graduate and just super smart. 
And usually what happened, she'd come with a woman who's a little bit shyer and she would just be like, da, da, da. And then she would, guys would hit on her because she was really cute. And then she'd be like, oh my God, this is my friend. She's amazing. Da, 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 da. Get them talking. And then she would like jet. And it actually worked yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And she's been responsible for several marriages. Um, I think it was also, you know, people, I don't know how you feel about this, but people also, they get really attached to their coaches as well. And they develop yeah. crushes on their coaches. It's mm-hmm. almost like that movie Hitch. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So when you work with clients, well, first of all, I, like I said, I want to get to the story of how it started for you because it's an interesting career career path. I think it's a great career path and a lucrative one and one that people need because there's not that many people doing it. But how did it start for you? Yeah. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't really, I don't work with clients and stuff like that. You I, don't work one-on-one and have like no, coffee I'm, shop meetings? No, I'm, I'm starting it, but uh, I... You know, my main job is I'm I'm like a TV writer and comedian and um, but by way of doing this and and weirdly enough, sort of knowing more than most of my guests usually know and experts know, I've sort of fallen under the realm of a dating expert. Um, So it wasn't something that you you thought of as this is my niche. This is what I've always been good at. Like when you were in, in high school and shit, was it something that you were? Yeah, I mean, that's the. I started the podcast because uh, I wanted to create something that would help people. And the podcast and is called what again? Kind of dating. Kind of dating, yeah. And um, you know, we call it kind of dating because nobody says they're in a relationship anymore. <laughs> Everybody always says I'm kind of dating. I'm kind of seeing kinda someone dating this girl. Yeah. yeah. And I used to be that, and yeah. I talk on the podcast from the perspective of a hardcore relationship girl i used to be in i was in a four-year relationship serial monogamous yep then i got in an abusive relationship Mm. like an actual one and then went the other way i was like fuck it can't beat him join him and then i became like a hardcore commitment phobe five and a half years fucking whoever i wanted did whatever i wanted i tell guys on the first date i don't want to be your girlfriend which no fail they took as (laughs) That means she want like that means we're gonna, I want her to be my girlfriend, and I'm like, no, oh, no oh, you're oh, not oh, listening to me. Like, I'm literally telling you, this isn't reverse psychology. But guys are so competitive; they're just gonna look at it as a challenge. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, you they haven't seen it my was dance like moves psychology. yet. Yeah, interesting. And I was like, it's not. I'm telling you straight up, don't want this. <laughs> and then you know, lots of therapy later, um, I finally came to a point. Which, well, back up for a second. So the therapy. Mm-hmm. So you got into therapy after the abusive relationship because mm-hmm. you were like, "How did I end up in this?" Because yeah, because a lot of time people get in, men and women, but mostly women, yeah. I think, get in. Although men too, but they get in abusive relationships because of something from their childhood mm-hmm. that's being sort of reenacted yeah, exactly over and over it. again. And you hadn't explored that yet. That was something that your therapist was able to uncover for you. Are you yeah, allowed to I talk about never, that? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine to talk about it. I've never, I had never been in therapy before. I had always wanted to be in therapy literally since I was like a teenager, but I'm Indian and it's just not really a thing <laughs> in our culture where yeah. I remember telling my mom, you know, and as a teenager, I'd, I want to go to therapy and she's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I guess. So I did become very introspective because of it. Now, are you from a traditional Indian family that was all about setting you up and arranged marriages? Was it that traditional? Um, we have like a hybrid kind of thing. Uh, you know, our family is, is does have a lot of like conservative traditional values. But that said, my parents are very progressive. Like, and yeah. they're, they've never forced me to do anything. Um, they might bug the shit out of me about it, but they won't force me to do it. Um, 
you know, my parents in their time got married at 30, 31, which is super Were they an arranged old. marriage? Uh, no. no, they were a love marriage. My mom had a divorce before, which is again, just so all of yeah. these things are very progressive. So whenever they would tell me, they're like, you need to get married. I'm like, you got married when you were 30, 31. That's basically the equivalent of like 40, 45 now. So thanks for <laughs> buying me time. Like, you can't tell me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, they, they wanted those things. I was always very independent and kind of rebellious. So I wasn't following anybody's rules. Um, but yeah, when I when I was in the abusive thing, it made me realize that it felt normal because my chaotic childhood felt normal. Why was your uh, childhood so chaotic? Was it? Uh, well, my parents were literally had the most fucked up relationship. Oh, really? This Are they still a, together? Yes, they're together, and it's crazy <laughs> because the I always say like the best compliment I ever got in my life was. My therapist who said to me, my first therapist who in New York who had said um, that uh, I was very well adjusted for someone with such a fucked up life. <laughs> and I was like, huh, thank you. Like, I don't know if you're supposed to say that, but thanks. She was just like, I've heard a lot of stories and this now, is really Now, wh why up. would you say, I don't want to get too deep into it. Yes, I do. No, why okay. would you say that it was fucked up? Because now I, I don't know a lot about... Everyone has their cultures, right? Yeah, Everyone yeah. comes from different cultures. I know something about Indian cultures. I know that um, masculinity is a thing that Indian men mm -hmm. cherish and being a man, and mm -hmm. which, as we all know, is great and also terrible. Yeah, I mean, testosterone look, is amazing and also the worst thing ever. The patriarchy you know? exists all over the world, for sure, um, definitely, and it includes in Indian culture. Um, you know, our story is probably not that different from a lot of people, but but the truth is, like, I mean, there was domestic abuse in our home. You know, I literally don't remember a time my parents were not fighting. Yeah. Um, and when I left home after college was when they stopped fighting. And so it was... Well, it, how would you know that if you weren't... They told me. They said, hey... Now that you're gone. <laughs> Literally, because I used to worry so much, right? Once yeah. I had left, I was worried that wow. what would happen if I'm not around. Because they, so, you know, at, at its worst, my dad has raised his hand on my mom. So I used to be very worried. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, you don't have to worry. We don't fight. I'm like, what? And it took me, so, it took me years for that anxiety to, like, drop where... Because, yeah. you know, you just think that they are going to kill each other yeah if not it could be the last time yeah and uh and so that took an adjustment period but basically realizing that the chaos i was feeling in my abusive relationship of this person because a lot of people were like you're so smart how could you have gotten in this and i didn't understand that's so funny that's always what you hear right and there are a lot of women who are like i wouldn't they always say i never thought i would be the woman in one yeah and a lot of times if you're if your father who you love is abusive to your mother you still see him as a loving person so that's you're like well it's he still loves me so mm -hmm. he's going to get past it yeah. whatever this thing is he'll get past it is that the idea yeah that's exactly it and it was also you know, uh, I was a very naive little Canadian girl. I wasn't used Where to a Canada? lot of crazy. Toronto. 
Um, as in, I was used to crazy at home, but I wasn't used to crazy from other people in yeah. that same way. And I didn't understand why this person was behaving the way he was behaving. And I kept thinking it was because he he needed more love. More love. And I just thought, if I give him more love, it'll it'll change. You know, Which and is it didn't get abusive. Completely understandable. Yeah, it didn't get physically abusive till the end, but the the emotional and you know mental abuse was An emotional was there abuse. Yeah. The, the beginning part or most of it and at the end it got physical when he couldn't control Our, me when it was when i was ready to leave he then knew you he, were ready to leave and yeah, that was his last resort that was when it got you know the the physical aspect but and when he was physical was that the last straw for you or did that continue for a while um it it wasn't the last straw i mean we we broke up and I, I, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast, so I have no issues. Um, I found that he he was cheating on me with like eight girls that I counted, <laughs> that you I find that out? I knew of. Uh, one, oh man, it's such a long story. But you know, one was um, the main one. He would he would disappear for two weeks. We were kind of living together, and he would just not come home for two weeks and not answer his phones. And and his stuff is there, and I'm in panic, like, what's happening? And, and he wouldn't give an explanation? Like, it wasn't work-related? like, oh, I got into some other shit, and he would make it seem like he got into drugs or something, and I was like, what's happening? And, and you know, I knew his family, and I, nobody was giving me answers, and... Um, but then he would come back and do this thing called love bombing that you talk about, you know, where what is love bombing? Love bombing is somebody who just who just smothers you with love after, like they're. I've they're, learned, I've I've been in the desert like Jesus, and now I'm back, and I've and, understood. Oh, the baby, I'm fucked error. up. Oh my God, you're it. And then then they give you all this attention for a while, and you go, okay, all right. Like yeah. I was so young too, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess like he's he fucked up, and forgive him if it's unconditional love. That means you love him without any conditions and <laughs> and um and then uh this pattern continued i found out about the girl because uh, uh oh i was like how did it start now because it's been so long he had um he was dominican and uh we went to his uncle's house and they were all talking in spanish and i i'm indian i didn't know the language and i was honestly bored and my phone wasn't working so i was just like can i use he had like a smartphone at the time i was can i use your phone and he was like yeah sure and he, he let me use his phone and then as i was going through it i was like wait a minute I've always wanted to get into his phone. And like, it was, it just all happened like in this one right second. There, yeah. I was just sitting next to, he was literally next to me and I was like, fuck this shit. So I looked in his, uh, his messages and his, he had a, he had a baby mother and I looked there and it said like, shut up and let me eat you out before I leave. And like all these like explicit messages. And so I was like, So you knew that he still had a relationship fuck? with his, his baby mama on some level. Yeah. yeah, because they had two kids together. Uh -huh. And so... I was like, oh, okay, I guess they have to be in touch for that. But I didn't know that it was there sexual was a, yeah, because everybody told me they're like oil and water, they don't mix and blah, blah, blah. So then, of course, I found that out and it got, um, it so escalated So when you're with his there. family, you found all this out? You're with him? Yeah, I didn't you. make a scene there. You were just like, uh-huh, here's your phone back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then I was like, we need to leave. And, uh, and then it kind of, that came out did he did he try to defend it in any way or justify it or did he just like oh, you he got actually me. that was the first time he got physical with me where he he tried to 
where he he was like, what do you mean? Like, this is nothing, just kind of gaslighting me. And then I said, okay, cool. So are you okay if I texted my ex this same thing? What if I said, what if I said, and that was my words. I said, what if I said, let me go down, you know, let me suck your your dick for whatever. Yeah. Um, That just just triggered him. Just the thought of that triggered him. And I was driving and he threw water at me and he grabbed my arms and I was like, what the fuck? And I just like pulled off on the side of the road. I was get the fuck out of my car. And, um, but that, but that was the first time. And then we were on and off for a bit after that. Yeah. But it wasn't like he, at that point I was like, you're not staying here. But, um, you know, it's a very fucking long toward story. But the, the big one that I found out was a month after that. And it was because he did come back home for a night because he was like, look, look, the kids are around They're at his mom's house because he went to stay at his mom's while he wasn't at my place. And he's like, you know, the kids are making a lot of noise. I just haven't slept. Can I please come to your place and sleep? And I said, OK, sure. He came over. Um, he left a receipt in his uh, clothes for laundry and uh, the receipt. It's very simple. Guys are so dumb. Straight up. Like, you, we don't even have to be detectives because guys are dumb as fuck. Sorry. Like, he left a receipt and I'll never forget it because it's like he's this big ass, like, football player dude, you know? Like, and he had this receipt that had um, P.F. Chang's beef and broccoli, something, something, and two green apple martinis. And I was like, motherfucker <laughs> was with a girl. Yeah, you're not ordering the green apple martinis. And I mean, that's how I found out. And then I ended up talking to that girl on the phone and she told me everything. It was, it was just in his phone. Cause then we had a rule. He wasn't allowed to keep his phone locked. Yeah. And, uh, and then it was right there. And, and, um, uh, I ended up talking to her and he was there at lunch with her. And then he came home to me that night and she told me everything that had been going on for, for For a long long time time, and that she knew all about me and, and she was basically like insinuating that I was a wife and she was the, the side piece. And I was like, are you proud of that? Oh, whatever. But I still, I had no beef against her really. Yeah, Cause I was course. like, you don't owe me shit. So, um, but that was when, once I know somebody's cheating, it doesn't bug me. Yeah. I'm very calm. Like I go into like, okay, now I know. I know. And so I just very calmly told him he needed to leave my house. And he, that triggered him. Yeah. And then he, he, you know, pinned me down, tried to rip my clothes off and like, and I, that's when I, I freaked out yeah. where I was just like, what, I mean, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Like basically. Yeah. And that's when like, I, I very rarely like lose my temper that way. It takes a lot, as you can tell. And that was that was my sort of breaking point. And I yeah. kicked him out of the house and I took all of it. It was like in a movie. Like I took all his clothes from the fucking closet, all his like really expensive like Louis Vuitton shit and just threw it out on the streets in New York. <laughs> I was like, fuck you. And I took every shoe one by one and threw it down. I was like, ah. Oh, man. And the crazy thing with narcissists is like, he didn't remember anything he did. All he could remember was that I threw his clothes. Yeah, of course. That was, and then, but because I, I realized I was in sort of a very unsafe situation because um, he started then saying things like, I don't know if you've heard Eminem's song, but there's an Eminem Rihanna song that's like, uh, 
if you ever he basically says if you ever try to leave i'll tie you to this bed and, and set this house on fire yeah and that's what he told me and and i was like uh, okay this is unsafe yeah. so i basically had to plan an exit strategy with him so i acted like i was going to take him back because he tried to kill himself after all of this happened he tried to kill himself he od'd on like 22 bottles of i mean sorry uh, 22 advil pms and a bottle of hennessy and um nobody showed up of all of his eight fucking yeah know, chicks and uh but i did and you know made sure he stayed alive through the night and then uh and because of that sort of act of kindness, I guess, he decided then, okay, yeah, now I think I should tell her all, like, the whole story. So he finally, like, admitted to everything. And then, again, I realized I'm in an unsafe situation. And so I planned an exit. And so that took about two months. And then I finally So it's your place, out. though, right? Yeah, it was my place. I know. And this is the thing, is, like... People kept saying to me, why don't you just throw them out? Throw them out. Get a restraining order. And I'm like, I'm a little Canadian girl. And again, growing up in a chaotic house, like in an Indian house, we keep everything private. Sure. I'm the antithesis of everything Indian because I talk about everything. Yeah. But growing up, nobody knew anything was wrong with me or in my home because I came home. I came to school totally put together. Yeah. Like everything was normal, mm -hmm. but if you went into the weeds of my story, it's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> it's really fucked up. But nobody would have known, and so that's kind of. I was like, I don't want to create a scene. I don't want to throw yeah. him out of my house. I don't even know what that means. At this like, point, he saw he saw keys. He saw things. Yeah, in your place. he had keys, and, and so, so how do you how do you enact that plan? Uh, I actually my lease was expiring, so I got a new place, and he didn't have the keys to that. Yeah. And that was where... And you didn't tell him where you were, obviously. Yeah. So, so you just was, moved like kind of middle of the night? Uh, the no, he knew where I was, but I wasn't as worried there because I had like a double bolt and yeah. like I was like, oh, I'm not worried about him breaking Were you worried in. that he was going to trash the apartment, the old apartment? Um, just to fuck you over? No, to be honest, I was honestly worried about my life. Like yeah. I, I, at the end, I had a, a folder in my email that had all of his messages because it was getting increasingly manic yeah and i had to tell friends and like if anything Did you go happens to cops to at me, any point no 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 again i just yeah. didn't want to make a scene wow. you know i was in like my early 20s i was like i don't i don't know i've never done this before and i just moved to new york like i met him a month after moving to new york yeah so this was all fucking brand new to me and I was just like wrapping my brain around it. But that relationship broke me for a long time. I mean, I sure. was literally broken. I couldn't function for two years. You probably years. didn't trust men at all for a while. Yeah, for a long time I couldn't even be physically around somebody because if somebody came too close, I, I didn't realize that I, I grew up in domestic <laughs> violence, but still, I never had it towards me. Yeah. You know, like your, my your dad father never was abusive did anything Georgia. to yeah. me. And so... And I have a big brother and I've been beaten up in my life like the, from my big brother and I So I was never scared, but something about The way he did it Felt like a different violation. Yeah, you know, I guess maybe because it was a sexual aspect to it um, So yeah, it was very kind of uh, uh, Scared of people for a long time I was totally the then so I became the commitment phobe. I yeah. really did. And and years of therapy and figuring it out and learning how to set boundaries with people, I gained the confidence to kind of 
be where I am at now, yeah. which is a reformed commitment phobe. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Reform, that'd be good in for a podcast. Did you go to therapy on your own accord or did, were friends of hers like, yo, listen, you got to go to therapy? No, it was my own accord. It was, yeah. it was me. I knew I was depressed. I knew... Um, I didn't drink, so I actually never drank until a few years ago, um, ever. Like, I didn't drink through college and high school, nothing. And uh, and I remember being, you know, on the floor of my studio apartment in New York, being like, somebody had left, one of my friends had left a bottle of Grey Goose in my fridge, and I've never been tempted, and I was like, I just want to drink that fucking okay, bottle. Yeah. And I didn't. But I realized, like, those things... I always said... One day when I do drink, because I didn't have like a moral issue, I just didn't want to. Yeah. I was like, when I do drink, I just want to do it when I'm in a happy state, not of course, when I'm in a sad I state. I completely agree. And so for me, I was like, okay, these are red flags. And, you know, I was definitely at a place where I wasn't functioning. I was an actor. I've, um, I am an actor. But I had to take time off because I couldn't access an emotion. I, I was yeah. blank. I had, I've been there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I even remember the moment where I sat on the floor and my body just went numb. Where I just, and it was such a defense mechanism. It was like overload, 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 stop. And it took me years to be able to feel properly again. Wow. And as a comedian, you know, we make everything into a joke. And I made the state of being unable to cope as a joke. Yeah. I was like, you know me, I don't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> I, I have gi- no feelings. Yeah, people say I don't give you a know. fuck, give the most fucks. Exactly. Always, yeah. I was always like, you know, I have no feelings. You know, blah, blah, blah. And there's something very attractive about that personality. So people around you were probably reinforcing it because you yes. were just the fun, cool girl to go out like, that guy's hot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and again, <laughs> therapy and realizing like, oh my God, I've tied my identity to this negative thing. Yeah. Um, I had to kind of come out of that. And um, and for me, it really only happened in the last few years in LA where I, I, I had realized that, you know, I had hooked up with this guy, uh, had, had sex, and then I was like looking at my watch like, <laughs> can I go now? <laughs> and and he was like, oh, let's cuddle. And I was just like, I don't, Ew. I don't want to. Yeah. And then I realized, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, even a casual hookup, or as I call like a flex, is not enjoyable anymore. Yeah. Like it, it was like sex didn't mean anything. I'm like, I could get, and really, it became for me. I hate to say this. But the way some guys take women, right? A notch on a belt. Mm. For me, it became a notch on a belt. Sure. I was like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Why? Why guys can fuck whoever the fuck they want? I'm gonna fuck whoever I want, and I just didn't care. Now let me ask you about that because I think that really ties into something I've always thought was an interesting concept about feminism in general. Mm-hmm. Because that is sort of a lot of what you hear about feminism is is women basically acting like men. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's what feminism should it's be not. in my personal view, but there are a lot of women who who claim their ability to claim sex and to do OnlyFans and to get in sex work and don't kink shame, don't sex shame as like as being pro-feminist and pro-empowerment. And I think that's sort of, not that we have to go back to the, like the 50s and a time when women are barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, but there is a middle ground that is, seems very uncomfortable where... There is a difference between men and women, 
And I think that there's a lot of damage being done nowadays when that difference is sort of being completely obscured and people say, well, there's not, that's just a societal construct. Well, if it's a societal construct is based on evolutionary biology that's existed for thousands of years, Mm -hmm. that's been in every goddamn culture. And granted we are progressing and it's luckily relationships. I don't think are nearly as bad as they used to be because there are women who, I mean, you you know, you watch any movie about a woman who is a housewife in the fifties, like, ugh, imagine that. And my mom is a perfect example. My mom and my dad, they're still together. My dad's very Republican, old school, traditional. My mom was a housewife and she was a great mom, but she also, when you're a mom with three boys, you know, what's your solace when dad's at work, the bottle, you Mm -hmm. know, and that became so, and I don't know how, how this relates to you and how you were growing up, but it didn't take, I thought I just had the perfect childhood and it wasn't until I got into school for acting where you are taught to like dig deep and you know, I realized like, man, like having an alcoholic mom kind of fucked me up in a lot of ways. It really made it hard for me to, um, to draw boundaries and to, to, to look at women in a way, I don't know how to say this, but the classic term is people pleaser, right? Yeah. I became a classic people pleaser Mm -hmm. and every relationship I was getting into, I would find these women that were probably bipolar Mm. or borderline bipolar. And that range of emotions was a attractive to me, obviously. And they were attracted to me because I was someone who didn't have that. And I just kept getting these relationships with women who were like over emotional. Mm-hmm. And I, all I would try to do is, it was please them. And meanwhile, I'm completely sacrificing my integrity and my happiness. And then it would just build into this resentment yeah. that I would blame them. Meanwhile, it's my fault for, for catering to it as well, you know? So. Well, a lot of times, and, and I'm sure you know this, is like we're trying to we get into the same pattern because we're trying to fix the last one. Yes. And, uh, you know, for me, the abusive relationship was a, was an example of trying to fix my dad. Did you know, my dad, did you know how fucked up your childhood was, um, when it was happening or was someone looking back, you kind of got perspective on it. Therapy made me realize how bad it was. Yeah. I think I knew it was traumatizing because mm-hmm. I could feel it in my body. I didn't know how bad it was until I got to therapy. And then they, you know, my therapist was like, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> and I was like, really? I thought that happened to everybody. Like, <laughs> like I had no idea. Because you didn't that, share with your friends because you were very yeah, private. And, and then I did. Then I started talking to my friends. I was like, wait, did your parents do this around you? <laughs> and then they were like, no. And it's not like anything major, but like my parents fought around us and was this screaming and yelling i mean even the physical stuff so right? things would thro- be thrown across the room and shit like that yeah, yeah. and i mean at, look uh for i i always preface this my parents are not at all it's almost like it's unimaginable how different they are now especially my dad my dad is like 180 Wow. Completely different human. Do you know why? It was just time. I think time his, and his testosterone aging. went away. Yeah, I always just joke. I'm like, oh, they got older and their neurons stopped firing. <laughs> like so, because like I mean, my it's dad, true though. Yeah, because he's not like he's just used to. You know, my mom is a fucking sweetheart, and she would just be lying there. My dad would come home one day and just fucking grab a purse and swack her, and she's just lying there next to us like nothing happened, and we're like, what the fuck? So you, it was yeah. always like. 
you had no idea when the next psychotic episode would sort of happen. For sure. You know, and um, I mean, at his worst, I've literally held, had seen my dad hold my mom's neck down and have, have a giant knife on her. And we're just yeah. like, I'm standing there going, holy shit, maybe if I don't move, he won't move. And you know, like you're you're so young, you have no idea. You're assuming everything they're doing has to do with you, and so you're carrying all of that. And I didn't know that until I started talking to people and being like, "That didn't happen." And then they were like, "Oh my God, no!" Like, <laughs> and one of my friends was like, "My parents never fought. They would go into another room." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> and my parents were like, they thought I was their therapist. So yeah, since I was seven, you know, they didn't realize even until recently that they were telling me things about their marriage like their sexual stuff wow. not realizing that they were talking to a kid who had no idea how to process it yeah and i was just trying to play peacekeeper of course between them so you're a little bit of a people pleaser too in that regard oh, 100%, probably. Yeah. yeah and now i've like really had to learn that not everybody's gonna like me you know I have to just honor the way I'm feeling. Um, and, you know, and just to address a little bit of that feminism part is like, I've gone through the phases and we talk about this a lot on the podcast too about feminism, which is a lot of us, like myself included, when I didn't understand what feminism was, yeah. I took it as, yes, that meant being masculine. Now, I understand it as, again, it's a balance of energies. And not just that, really, I think what women are looking for is, I say this, I say men and women are different. It just doesn't mean that one is better than the other. And that's all. I think once we remove the superiority aspect of it, there shouldn't be this argument of there are great things that the, the qualities men have, there are great qualities women have, and there are great, you know, the energies can balance each other. Like now, I used to be the girl who like didn't like if a guy opened a door for me. <laughs> you know, during that phase when I was yeah, very young and didn't understand. And I was like, I could do this myself. Now, I'm like, oh no, I know I could do this myself. I'm like, but you could totally do it. Like, <laughs> I can pay for my, my own drink, but mm, you're getting this drink. I have like, my boyfriend will always pick up my bags. You know, he's like a very sweet Spanish boy from, you know, Spain and very chivalrous and, and, and I'm like, no, baby, I, c I could do it. And he's like, no, but I got it. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the one thing that men have in spades is brute force. And, so you might as well use it to an advantage. And that's the thing is like now I, I feel secure in myself to go, I know I can do that. And I have done it. I've lived by myself for however many years. Yeah. And, but it's cool. Like it's okay for, for me to also give you that because I understand now that people also like to feel like they're contributing. Like yeah. the way I like to feel like, you know, he'll pay for dinners. And I'm like, no, I want to pay for those dinner. And he's like, but I got it. I'm like, no, I, I know. But I just want to feel like I'm contributing. Yeah. Like I just want to feel like I'm also part of this. Yeah. And that makes me feel good. And I would appreciate it if you let me do that. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with feminism or anything it's just i want to feel like i'm a part of it so now it comes from a bit more of a secure place but i understand the different waves and and 
I think when people don't have a deep understanding of something, they just act on the surface level of what they think yeah. that thing is. So feminism in that way, you know, for the, for the women who want to do OnlyFans and any of these things, I think that's totally fine. We don't need to even justify it as it's feminism. It's just you're a person who's allowed to yeah. make your own adult decision, whether you're uh, uh, whatever you identify with. And that's all it is. Yeah. And we don't need to say it's anything yeah. nobody else is paying your bills Simple. got it but let me put it this way what do you think about the idea because on one level you think about how would you raise your daughter or how would you particularly how would you raise your daughter um and no one's going to raise their daughter with the belief that um you hey when you grow up you should get an only fans little jenny you know it's something that the, the amount of shame in terms of monetizing your sexuality or or cheapening your sexuality in that way is something that I think as a parent is important to, to it is to a safe degree to breed in a child like that your that your sexuality is actually a, a commodity I don't know if commodity is the right word mm. it's 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 valuable mm -hmm. and it should be put out and that it's private and that there'll people there are men who will take advantage of it because because unfortunately men are stupid mm -hmm. And they will do the long game to try to get in your pants. Yeah, look, you know, the uh, topic of sex trafficking and, and these, we just saw the, you know, the shootings in Atlanta and, yeah. and there are lots of sex worker conversations happening. Um, my other ex <laughs> had uh, cheated on me and it was we had found out it, like he was going to these massage parlors for happy ending massages. So weird. This is a quick sidebar. I was with two friends of mine last night. One just got divorced and one is married. And we were at Korean barbecue and they're like, Hey, what do you want to do? My one friend's like, Hey, let's go. He's like super rich. He's like, let's go to a, let's go to a strip club. I'll give you 300 bucks. You go to strip club with me. And I'm like, I can go to the strip club. Like he's, he got a divorce. And then he was like, well, maybe I'll just go to this like a rub and tug. Mm -hmm. And then they start talking about all the different rub and tugs that they go yep. to and all the different services they get. And I was like, well, I've, I've never done that. And literally their jaws dropped. Like you've never done a, like you've traveled the world, right? I'm like, yeah. Like, and you've never, I'm like, it's literally, it's never been anything. God gave you a hand for your own release. Mm. There's a reason. Yeah. I mean, whether it's God or evolution, it's perfectly situated right there. Yeah. You have it, you smoke a joint, <laughs> put on some music, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's great. And it's, it's a solve for a lot, mm -hmm. for a lot of problems. Um, so I'd never really understood that you wanted to get, and sometimes, and I'm not being ageist, I'm not being racist. Sometimes these, they'll get a 75 year old Asian woman who will give them a rub and tug with a latex glove in their butthole and, and they are married and they don't feel like it's cheating because they yeah. feel like it's almost mechanical. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a, well, I'm getting a massage with release. And I've never understood that. And I don't know, I, I think it's a lot more prevalent among guys than people know. Oh yeah, I because I didn't, I didn't know about it before until that happened. And then very great, I mean my, I always just simply have this like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So when my boyfriend at the time was saying, 
he didn't consider it cheating. I said, great, so I can get a guy to go down on me. And and then he got really angry. And I said, oh, okay, so I guess that's <laughs> considered different. cheating. Yeah. And then I asked him, I said, okay, so you know you partook in prostitution. And he was like, what do you mean? No, I didn't. I'm like, let's just, you think, you think a woman woke up and said, my dream job yeah. is to wake up and go jerk off fucking gross ass guys for thing. That's not somebody's dream job. That's yeah. not any of these, I wouldn't say any. I'm sure there are some people who really do it because maybe somewhere inside they really want to. I don't know everybody. But I would say probably most people do it out of circumstances. Yes. I My only thing that I would say is instead of us talking about the women only who are doing this, we yeah. should also be redirecting to the consumer. There are They are doing this because there are men who are paying for this to happen. So both need to evaluate why they're doing something at the core of it we don't control anybody so my thing is like hey man i'm i'm not living your life so i'm not here to tell you if i had a daughter would i encourage her to do that no but only because i would want her i would be like if this is something you truly feel like this is your life calling and this is your ikigai or something like let's talk about that yeah if you're doing it because of some insecurity or a, a circumstance or then let's address that. Yeah. Because that's where I think at the, and, and this is what, you know, a long winded way to come back to the podcast, but like the big thing we try to address on kind of dating is even though we, you know, we have a lot of lighthearted topics, we also have some deep topics is a point of, we always address the why and I have lived a, uh, an interesting enough life of dating all types of people, going through many phases of personalities myself, where I can spot a commitment foe from a fucking mile away. I'm like, yeah. you. And it's not just the fuck boy. It's, I, it's literally the girl who keeps dating yes. the asshole. I'm yeah. like, you are a commitment phobe. Admit yeah. it. Like, yeah. I had to admit that. That's how I changed. Got it. Because I'm also the problem. Because I know better. Yeah. I always say, I'm like, you either, you're either smart or you're dumb. If you're smart, you know better. If you're dumb, I don't want to have anything to do with you. So you pick. Yeah. And and most people are always like, I'm smart. I'm like, so you know better. Like, it's simple. So what is what would you say the solution is to, is it just parenting? Is that the solution? Because I always think, and I joke about this too in my stand-up, like, people, I, I don't think that women realize how evil testosterone is. And, and I don't want to get into the transgender thing because that'd be a whole other podcast. Yeah. But I do know that a lot of these women who are interested in transitioning to, to men, which is a, a, nothing less than an epidemic happening right now that people don't really want to talk about. But um, you go to a doctor, you say, I, I think I think I identify as a, as, a, as a boy. And the policy is to affirm it, not to, if you talk them out of it, you're engaging in conversion therapy. And the first thing they do is give you testosterone. Well, I guess they could do uh, hormone blockers, but testosterone. And testosterone, when you take testosterone, I mean, I, I know how I felt when I was 18. And when I was full, when I could come like eight times in a night, I know what that, it is It is a relentless feeling of, of joy and euphoria. And a lot of these women get treated with testosterone. They go, oh, well, this is what I've needed. Because it is a hormone that will act 
instantly and make you feel good instantly. And, you know, it's diminishing returns, obviously. Um, and it also leads to aggression and violence, and it's why every goddamn war has ever been invented and why rape exists and everything else. Um, and I don't know what to say about the, other, the fact that do you think it's a question of men need to be raised better? Is that sort of what it boils down to? Is that boys have to be taught this stuff? My dad's burn the bees speech was, as a born again Christian, was keep your dick in your pants. That was <laughs> literally it. Yeah. Um, and luckily for me, I was just naive enough, and I I was a late bloomer. But um, but still, when I was in my twenties, I I was completely profligate sexually. I was a yoga teacher, you know what I mean? I'm like, well, I don't fucking anyway. Um, and I didn't have, I didn't. It was ingrained in me to take responsibility for the people that I was having sex with. Yeah, I didn't think it was my responsibility. Well, that's they agreed, so why should I be responsible for them if they don't feel I'm committed to them? Um, so I. Because I think about that, because obviously prostitution will be around forever. Yeah. Sex slavery, sex trafficking will be around forever. We can all agree that trafficking and slavery is bad, and women who are engaged in it out of circumstance is bad. So what? What? How can we move the needle on that? Is it just parenting? Is it? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it's a really good question. I I do think. Sure, parenting is an aspect, uh, the biggest aspect. I think the problem is we're not teaching people the right thing, mm. which isn't just keep your dick in your pants. <laughs> yeah. It's also, we don't address the why. As a society, we never address why are we doing the things we're doing. Yeah. Why does somebody feel sad, insecure, depressed, that leads and that and that is a catalyst to destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. If we never address that, we will never solve the problem. Yeah. And people ask me all the time, they go, oh, kind of dating. Why does everybody have commitment issues? And they're like, it's because there are so many apps, right? It's because like so many choices. Social media, and, so, yeah. and I'm always like, nope. It's because we don't know how to cope. We have not been taught the tools of how to cope with rejection, with loving somebody, with ending something with somebody. So because we don't know how to cope with our emotions, we choose to avoid it. Yes. And how do we avoid it? Commitment phobia. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to, I'm going to ghost you because I don't, I don't have the balls and I don't know how to deal with the emotions that will come up and the guilt I'll probably feel by telling you I'm sorry I didn't like you yeah yeah the date didn't go the way I thought yeah. I wasn't attracted to you yeah just I'm still thinking about my ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. like because we don't n- want to deal with the after effects of that we just don't deal with it mm. because we don't you know know how to deal with the emotion and the distress that comes with communicating what I need baby, I really need you to show me some more love. You know, I I really feel like if you do the dishes, that shows me you care. But I don't even know how to say that because I'm scared with how you'll deal with it. Mm. And because I don't know how to cope with that, I just don't say anything. Interesting. It really comes down to the fact that none of us know how to cope. And that comes from our parents. Yeah. And it comes from the generation before. So we were always told to throw things under the rug. And their parents and their parents before them. So how would you, if you were having, I I don't know if you plan on having kids. 
Uh, I know I'm actually, <laughs> this is literally part of my stand-up. I would say I want to have kids just not out of me. So uh, Really? Yeah. yeah. Why? Uh, I used to be very sick for like 10 years. Oh, okay. I used to have Lyme disease for like seven okay. years. Um, so my body's gone through a lot. And then two and a half years, I had like a head injury. And so, you know, I just sort of honestly have a little bit of... Uh, You're like, I like my body the way it is. Yeah. I don't want rec- yeah. yeah, I completely yeah. get that. And, and that's really it. Like, it's just, just like almost like a medical PTSD. So if you, you, maybe you'd have surrogate or adoption. Yeah, what, what would you What would you tell a young 10-year-old girl or 12-year-old girl who's like let's say she's beautiful she's about to embark on her journey as a woman what would you tell her to kind of get her on the right track in terms of how she relates to sex and dating and stuff like that my number one advice to anybody and i say this if i ever had a daughter i would tell her this too um i'm not here i I can't live in your shoes every day it's gonna be you any decision you make in your life, do it because you really wanted it, not yeah. an ounce of anybody else who wanted yeah. it, which means whenever you choose to have sex, right? I was in a four-year relationship in high school to college. I made the guy wait two years almost, year and a half before we had sex, Yeah, which is unheard of. But I really just, I didn't, I wasn't ready. Yeah. And then when I did choose to, I've never regretted it. Because sure. one, it was somebody I loved. And two, I really wanted to. Yeah. And that's always been my rule after that. Was always like, even, you know, that the phase that I went, that's the reason I'm like, You're, you'll never embarrass me. I have no issues with saying like, oh, I've had sex because I wanted to. So I've never gotten mad at somebody after if it didn't work out. Sure. Because it's not like I felt anybody took anything from me. And that's all. It comes down to an empowerment. So do it because you want to, not because somebody's convincing you, because you're insecure, yeah. because, and that's for any decision in life. Now, I you, wish somebody had empowered me for that when I was young. Well, sounds like you were able to find it yourself. Way late. Yeah. <laughs> after a lot of mistakes. But one of the things that I you always hear about with parents, particularly with with teenage daughters, with boys too, but boys are a little bit more monolithic. But uh, th- they go from a- as the dad, you are, you're their dad. They love you. You're they love their mom, and there becomes a point in when they get into high school ish area where peers become more important than your parents. Totally. I was classic. So everything that your peers say is important. What your parents say, they're just fucking old fucks who don't know what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to hold you down and stop you from having whatever. They're too yep. strict. They're too blah, blah, blah. So, um, a lot of relationships go tits up in a ditch when, I mean, all across America, teenage girls, you hear stories of teenage girls who hate their mother. Mm-hmm. And it just, people accept it as a thing that happens. And I, and it obviously doesn't need to happen. Yeah. But it's happening, I think, more and more, pro- partially because of social influence has become such a huge prevalent factor in every girl's decision for yeah. what they do. And it, I, I wouldn't know how to stop that, you know? I mean, other than try to keep the communication as open as possible and let them come to you with things and... Yeah, I mean, look, I am very close to my mom. I always joke, like, in my family, it's like my dad is the the, the mom. Like, <laughs> my dad is the naggy, you know, like, he's he's the guy who fucking fights with everybody. Like, he's the one, he's the problem. And my mom is the fucking She's coolest, the best friend. 
and she really uh, reiterated to me when I was very young. One, she always, she still says it, the Titanic thing, the quote, you jump, I jump. Yeah. She always says that. But she literally always told me I could come to her with anything. Yeah. And I did. I mean, I was 16 years old. Again, super naive kid, so naive. One of my girlfriends came to me and said that she was in a dr- having a drug issue and she needed to pay this dealer off and she didn't have the money. I gave her my bank card and and I because I was working and I had you know a couple thousand from Pizza Hut at the time and <laughs> and she took out a thousand dollars from that and I trusted my friend but still I was like uh oh I might be in over my head here <laughs> and so I went to my mom and my mom was like okay. Let's deal with it. She didn't get mad at me. She never brought it up again. She never, but my friend paid me back to the fucking oh, wow. cent. Good for it her. took her a year. Yeah. She paid me back. But because I, my mom was there and, and, and I, you know, I don't think I could have handled it by myself. And I was always able to go to her yeah. and tell her what was happening. Yeah, that's great. Um, and even now, like any issue I have, you know, my mom is, my literally my best friend i talked to her like two three times a day sometimes oh, that's amazing um do you talk to your dad as much at all or no yeah we talk but uh now we're much closer my dad's just not a big talker kind of like how dudes Traditional, are yeah. yeah did you ever now again when i went to graduate school for acting and i uncovered that you know the trauma my mom put me through a lot of people are like you got to confront her you got to go to your mom you got to Da, da, da. And I tried one time in the middle. I was in grad school. I said, I'm gonna go back, and I, and I just brought it up, and she just broke into tears, you know. And I just realized, like, this is not a conversation I'm ever gonna be able to have with my. She's not. She knows. She feels terrible about it. She's an amazing woman. She doesn't drink anymore um, because it fucks with her pills. But um, no, <laughs> she doesn't drink anymore. But uh, but she felt terrible about it. And I and you have to go from the fact that okay, we're not gonna have the big therapy session where all gets worked out and and I never brought up again. I never brought up with my dad again. The only thing my dad said one time is back in Virginia, we were driving home and he opened the back of the trunk of the car and there were like thousands of Beanie Babies that my mom was collecting. Oh, and he wow. just looked at me and goes, well, it's better than the drinking. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I let <laughs> her sub it. it for something else that's less um, destructive. And, 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 so with your father, did you ever say, Dad, I want to kind of talk to you about this stuff? What it's happened? It's really great that you asked that. Um, uh, yeah, I we recently had it. Wow. Um, I came to terms and I, I stopped believing in closure a long time ago. Uh, after the abusive relationship, sure. I realized, oh my God, there are times closure... Is not well, you get closure on it, your own, and that's exactly it. Yeah. The closure really comes for yourself. Yeah. So through therapy, I, you know, when I first started, I would tell them some things of what I uncovered because again, my mom and I are so close. I was like, oh, you know, therapist said that maybe this thing that had happened affected me this way. Yeah. And my mom is always very receptive, and she feels very bad. She was always like, "Fuck, I'm so sorry." Like I, you know, she had nobody and so she was talking to me as like somebody who had nobody yeah and i was like no no i know it's not you know you forgive i don't i don't even hold it my mom i don't even hold against and you forgave her obviously yeah and uh and it was my dad that you know that he had a harder time and for in the beginning he used to be like oh she's so sensitive she's so this she blames me for not finding a man but it's how is this my fault you know like that kind of stuff and and i had to learn that 
I might never get that from him. So sure. I need to come to peace and yeah. I need to like, there's no, I don't need him to say this happened for me to know it happened. Yeah. And so I finally, I came to a peace a, a long time ago. I forgave him a long and, time but ago. But you tried at one point? And then very recently, not, I'm talking like three, four months ago wow. over the holidays, my dad came to me Yeah. when I was in Toronto and he's now 72, 73. He's turning 73. And he said to me, I want you to tell me everything I did Wow! that screwed me up. And I remember very distinctly in my brain going, I have a choice. The man is 72. Do I really want to tell him everything or just a couple things? Yeah. And it, I decided to go with just a couple things that weren't going to be so hurtful. Because I know if he knows the other stuff, if he remembers it. Mm. Like the he knife and stuff like that. He won't forgive himself. Yeah. And so I told him some of the things and just some of the things that I didn't, I still don't now. I'm like, that's not even the bad stuff. <laughs> Hurt him so much. He was bawling. Oh, wow. He was bawling. There were some things he totally was like, never happened. I mean, it really in his head, he's never touched my mom. Wow. Never touched her. And he doesn't understand why everybody thinks that. And he goes, you guys misunderstood. And I've realized it's his coping mechanism. Yeah. It's, he can't look at himself in the mirror to go, I did that. Because so, he, he's looking at the end of the runway right now in his life. He goes, I can't live. I can't die feeling this way. Yes. Yeah. And he feels very guilty. And so he apologized to me and he cried and he cried and he apologized and he begged me. He was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to do this. Like, I really appreciate it. And it did kind of feel like a little weight i was yeah. like oh wow and crazy okay. right? like i can really let it go and like you told I him know you forgave him yeah i was like you don't need to i still love the shit out of my dad like yeah i've always said this that my dad was a great father a terrible husband and um you know i'm who i am because of him in that way like so he's a good dude he was fucked up in his childhood and, and you know, didn't know how to deal with his he things. He was abused, and, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, yes, he was. And, and he also, for the first time, sort of admitted to me what he was going through in his 30s and 40s, you know, where he was like, I had you kids. I came as an immigrant to Canada. I was so I, I was so well off before, and then I became nothing. And and you know I was grappling with a lot, and I, yeah. I just didn't know how to deal with it. So I took it out on you guys, and I was like, wow, like that's awareness. Yeah. Um, as about as much awareness as you can get in that generation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so then there was a point I was like, I'm not here to make you feel like shit. Yeah. You know, and, and we do have a choice in that. And I was like, I don't want to bring these things up. I want him to enjoy yeah. his chapter. And So all this stuff, this led to you having enough perspective on relationships to mm -hmm. say, this is something that you feel like you can really help people with. Was there, was there a precipitating moment where someone came to you and you gave advice and you saw it worked out? You're like, wow, this is actually something I'm gifted at. Yeah, all the time. I mean, people always came to me with relationship and life advice. And my friends had a nickname for me. They used to call me Baby Buddha. <laughs> and But my joke was always like, I literally feel like I black out after I tell somebody some like great piece of advice. And my friends would quote me. They're like, you said this. I'm like, whoa, oh, I said that. I was that. channeling something. I'm like, I don't remember, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I realized like, 
and you know we're both in comedy like you get this like you can have a deep discussion with somebody but you also know how to make this kind of heavy discussion not feel as heavy yeah right and that's a gift and so so i was like i want to be able to talk about this where i hate oh, i don't know i'm gonna regret saying this i dislike most relationship podcasts sure because I feel like they're always trying to preach getting the guy and getting the girl and and Ugh. this is a formula and follow my thing so I can sell a book. And I've notoriously not monetized my experience because I've been very like, I don't believe in prescriptions. I don't believe in formulas. I think the reason people like the podcast is because I talk like a real person. Yeah. And yes, we have we drop a lot of wisdom on it. But I also know how to like joke and say yeah, these things so that it's not like, don't go back and fucking feel bad. And, and I'm not here to tell you how to live your life because I don't know your day to day. Yeah. I don't know what's led up to that. Yeah. What I can do is share an experience and we can explore a topic. I play devil's advocate a lot of times. And then you go back and hopefully think about yeah. why you're doing something and then make the change that's right for you. And the best feedback I get are from listeners who said their lives have changed. They were yeah. literally like, you have helped me so much to feel empowered in my relationships. And that's all I could. I'm like, that's the gift. Yeah. Like I don't, you know. Yeah. Do you f find it all that sometimes your job as a relationship therapist, for lack of a better word, yeah. and a comic are at odds? Because I also, I kind yes. of feel like sometimes as a comic, the low hanging fruit is like, hey, women are this way, men are this way, and da da da, and blah, blah. and um, anytime you travel on the road, you know, ever so many traditional couples out there. How long have you been married? The guy's like, looks at the wife, and it's kind of a hacky joke to be like, he doesn't even fucking know, but it's true because guys at a certain age they kind of give over agency to to yep. their woman in terms of like how the relationship is run. Yep. And I find that as a man, it's it's tough because you also got to be a man, and you yep. got to be like. Sometimes you got to lay down the law in certain ways. You're like, hey, I'm 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 the man of the household, and this is what's happening. But you also want to please her, and you mm -hmm. want to happy wife, happy life. You know. <laughs> so, so really, she's the one who's. <laughs> but here's the thing: it's a balance, right? Yeah. I think there are areas a man can be a man, and you know, in these traditional kind of senses. Like, my boyfriend and I, we talk about this very openly. He's so fucking secure, and that's the reason I, I, I love him beyond. But yeah. but he's also pretty alpha. Yeah. But he also lets me lead. Yeah. And so it's an amazing kind of thing. Like, there, there are times he totally leads, and I'm like, cool, you do that. Yeah. And there are other areas he completely lets me lead. If there's just no feeling of anybody's better than the other in it, it's just certain situations he excels at, certain situations I excel at. And yeah. and sometimes he's very like, yep, we're doing this. I'm like, cool. And then sometimes I'm like, we're doing this on this yeah. day. Yep. Okay. Cool. And like that's how, you know, ideally you complement each other. But if you if you are you don't agree, then you give it over to the woman. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, kind, he kind of does. Like, he's he's much more experienced for sure. So he you know he's been in like very long relationships. So I'm like he's well trained that way to just be like, all right, whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. But um. But you bring on that really good point. I have struggled, and I'm very curious how you handle it, like with the, on one end, 
you also seem very introspective and wise and you seem to understand human behavior. And then we also do comedy and sometimes, yeah, it's exactly that, the low-hanging fruit. And I've had to learn that I fall under this category of smart comedy or whatever people, you know, consider. I still curse a lot and I do whatever, but my jokes are crafted in in a I don't make fun of people. It's just a personal thing I have. Personally in the audience, you mean? Yeah, and just generally in my jokes, like I don't make f- like I I my ex for example, the one who was going to these happy endings cheated on me with grandmas. That's an actual thing that happened so I've written an entire bit about getting cheated on with grandmas and I very consciously when I was writing that bit was like I'm not gonna shit on grandmas yeah it was very easy for me to do that yeah so I crafted a whole thing of like how it was fucked up because I can't compete with a grandma because grandmas are way better than I am and then I lay all the ways like they bake and they don't have emotional issues and they have fucking hips and I'm like I you know no fucking baby (laughs) even wants to live in here like like shit like that where You make it self-deprecating. Yeah, which which is easier for me because I'm like, I am very confident. So I'm like, I don't care about that, but I don't want to shit on somebody else. Yeah. And, and maybe that also comes back to like, I'm a bit of a spiritual person. So it does conflict where sometimes even hanging out with comedians and artists can, can be hard because they want to go to a level that I don't, I don't connect to in that mm-hmm. same way. Yeah. And so I've had to learn to kind of find yeah. I I have a daughter who is a a lesbian, and she's very she's at Berkeley. She's super, for lack of a better word, woke. Um, She's very she's a trans ally. She's all stuff, and she's she's a sweetheart. She's amazing. Um, And I've learned a lot from her. And I've I've looked at some of my stuff, and I kind of go, man, maybe I got to like peel back, or just pull back a little bit on the aggression. But the aggression leads to strong punchlines sometimes, you yeah. know? So I, I, I have some jokes I, I look at, I go, man, I gotta retire that joke and then I'll do it in like, uh, you know, San Antonio, Texas and I'll murder and I'll be like, oh man, fuck. It's still, uh Yeah. You know, so I, I definitely struggle with that. Yeah. To be, to, be, to be nicer in my comedy. and But I do think that uh, that's where, and like you said, it just puts the onus on the comic to be more sophisticated in their joke writing. And I think that's what that that's my take generally on cancel culture a little bit too where I kind of say it's our job. It's actually our job to make an observation. Yeah. But we can make a smarter observation. Our job is also to rewrite. I mean as a I write for TV comedy. What what shows? Uh, I was writing on Mr. Iglesias on Great. Netflix with so Gabriel he's, Iglesias, he's amazing. you know? Yeah. yeah, like fluffy. But we would write like five, six, seven versions sometimes of the same joke. Yeah. So that means there are multiple versions of the same joke. Yeah. So how do we do it so that it's you know, I, I do have a little bit in mind where I talk about, oh, like guys. Um, don't want to uh, like oh guys all say the same thing when they don't want to fuck you without a condom like they say oh baby two minutes <laughs> and then I go well bitch you're only gonna last 10 minutes <laughs> but then I change it into this isn't about you you're lasting I, I make it about that's it you're gonna last 10 minutes that's one out of five that's a 20% chance of me getting pregnant I'm Indian I do the math fuck no yeah, so yeah. I make it about yeah 
being Indian and math and really just the statistical version, like reality yeah. of me getting pregnant versus you're, you're only lasting 10 minutes, yeah. which truthfully everybody does. Like, no, you know, like <laughs> that's not an insult. That's just like, even girls don't like it for longer than that. Like people who are like, really? I like it for an hour. They're lying. <laughs> Everybody's a fucking liar. Nobody. I talk to all my girlfriends. They're like, yeah, I don't like, if somebody goes like a half hour, a fucking half hour of getting pounded. Are you kidding me? Like you're getting punched over and over. No, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's uh, why girls make guys come. So we're always just like, all right, okay, baby, come on. I want you. I want you. To yeah, come. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's, a, that's no, a us going. Okay, <laughs> wrap we, it up. Hit our. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I could talk to you forever. You're you're awesome. Um, I I do have to to go to a previous engagement. Um, Rude. We've been here you for an hour. You invited me. I know. I know. The hour <laughs> flew by. I would love to have you back at some point. We could talk about more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're great, and I want to plug your stuff. So where can people find you? Uh, you can check out Kinda Dating, the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And mm-hmm. I am at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha.Chandel on TikTok. And if you really like a bunch of political fucking rants that always, I don't know why they always end up in the papers, is Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter. Nice. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>